Hello, and welcome to the Third Age Design Podcast, sharing essential information on senior environments. I'm Laurie Pinkerton Rowley, and we have a very special guest today. You may have seen him on CNN or in Newsweek or the Wall Street Journal. You may be familiar with his contributions to the World Economic Forum's Global Agenda Council on Aging. Anyway, he's really raising his game now by joining us on the TAD podcast. Yes, it's Colin Milner, CEO of the International Council on Active Aging, and I promise you a most engaging conversation on building purpose in retirement. It's a bit of a double entendre there, building purpose and building purpose. See what I did there? Anyway, Colin is based in Canada and will be staying in North America for our Innovation Spotlight this month, when I'll tell you about a New England-based retirement community located within a university campus. George Bernard Shaw said, both optimists and pessimists contribute to society. The optimist invents the airplane, the pessimist the parachute. It's amusing and true, and I think it's fair to say that there are many people who would like to parachute out of their later living accommodation. Third Age Design is here to assist in the redesign of senior environments. We're optimists and believe that by hearing from experts and sharing this information internationally, we can improve things. Please go to www dot third age dot design and tap on the join us button when you do you'll automatically receive our quarterly a tad extra exclusive information for our members and there's no cost to join the third age design podcast is supported by innova care concepts whose mission is to enhance quality of life through innovation from hydrotherapy pools to furniture, you'll find quality, aesthetics, and functionality in all unique Anova products. Anova Care Concepts, the leading edge of healthcare. Okay, let's get started. As you've already heard, my guest today is Colin Milner, CEO of the International Council on Active Aging and founder of the active aging industry in North America. The World Economic Forum refers to him as one of the most innovative and influential minds in the world on aging-related topics, and he's not even that old. He's an award-winning author and has written more than 300 articles, and you're going to find his insights in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and WebMB, among others. And he's also a contributor to the World Economic Forum book, Global Population, Aging, Peril or Promise. I could go on, but you're going to find more information on today's guest on the podcast links to this episode. So let me at last welcome Colin Milner. Thank you very much for having me. I'm thrilled to be with you today. And it's always great to speak with someone who has a passion for what we're going to talk about today. Yes, they, and, and obviously you do. And that's my first question is, I've done my background research, I think, and I believe you were in the field of exercise equipment and then went into this. So what actually spawned your interest specifically in sort of later living and active senior living? Well, actually, my interest started even before then. I, I started my really my career in the health and fitness field. Uh, at the age of 21. And 
after about six months, I, I realized very quickly that I got very tired of trying to help young people make bigger biceps. What I was really interested in was helping the individuals that were coming into the fitness clubs who were struggling to improve their quality of life. And as it turns out, many of them happened to be older. Uh, so that's where my interest really first started, but it got uh, literally put on steroids, if I could use that term from the fitness industry, uh, when I was the VP of sales and marketing for Kaiser Fitness Equipment, because a lot of the initial research that was done on strength training and aging that truly transformed where we are today was done with Kaiser Equipment in the early 1990s. And what it showed was it doesn't matter how old you are, you can always reverse some of the loss that we have experienced. And the question becomes is how much of that loss will improve your quality of life uh, if you can reverse that? And what have you found? Have you found that it, it that is really truly the case that you can reverse and improve your quality of life at almost at any age? Well, between the ages of 35 and 70, we lose about 50% of our strength and 75% of our power. The problem is that most people have come to believe that that's just a natural process of aging. Or I should say most people of my parents' generation. My generation has grown up with the fitness industry. It's grown up with Jane Fonda and all these other people who have kind of transformed that way of thinking and what we know today is that it is never too late to start and that you can absolutely regain much of the strength that you have lost, much of the power you have lost, which completely can transform someone's life. The key is you have to do it. Yes. And we had uh, a guest on the podcast, Samir Gray, a few episodes ago who was speaking on a similar thing. It's use it or lose it, but also that losing losing everything as you age isn't necessarily a natural part of, of aging was, and I think you're making a similar, a similar point. Yeah. It's, it's far from it. Uh, it. A lot of our loss comes from us, us not doing things, us eating improperly, us smoking, us, um, you know, drinking alcohol, all of these things add to our loss of ability, our loss of capabilities. And, and it also comes to us to transform that back the other way. And it doesn't have anything to do at all with the hours that I spend sitting on a computer, does it? <laughs> oh, of course not. Of course not. I, 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 th I think that uh, that might have a little bit to do with it but uh <laughs> you know i mean think about it we wait we sleep which if you look at uh, the astronauts in space when they sleep they atrophy uh actually in space they atrophy period um but when we sleep we atrophy uh and yeah and then we wake up we get in a chair eat uh, eat breakfast and we get in a car and we're seated uh, or seated and then we go to work we're seated we get in a car, come home, we're seated, we sit at the dinner table, we're seated, and then we sit down and watch TV. Most of us are in a seated position for most of the day. We just got to get up and move our butts to try and counteract that. 
uh, I happen to know that your psoas muscles don't like that, <laughs> which is your <laughs> part of your central central core. So you you took this concept, you saw that things were not happening in this particular area, and you founded the International Council on Active Aging. For anybody that is not already familiar with this, can you explain what you do? We are a mission-driven association that is focused on helping to change the way we age and the way that people perceive the older population. And it's our contention that we can do that by helping people to become healthier. The healthier you are, the more you get involved in society, theoretically, the more you are engaged in life, the less caregiving that is required, the less burden, which is the way many people view older adults still today, uh, you are and your family. Uh, so our thinking is if we can help educate those who work with older adults and how to help their residents or their members or citizens to live better longer, we can change the way we age on a local, national, and global level. And thus, the international approach to what you're doing. There you go. We're, we're in 57 countries. Um, that is fantastic. We're only in 16 so far, but actually the Third Age Design podcast had a similar approach, which is if we can share this information, it's going to benefit everybody. And so from, from the off, we were interested in having these international conversations. In addition to the conferences that you do at the ICAA and your, your articles and things, your website publishes research, it publishes white papers on topics that are related to active aging. And one thing I noticed doing the research is I really have to stress to the people listening how influential and how quickly the ideas that you and the ICAA, do you call it the ICAA or the ICAA? ICAA. The ICAA. We could be one of those car agencies if you wanted, like, uh, you know, the AAA, but not yet. <laughs> okay. ICAA, it'll, it'll stay then. It, we, people need to understand how innovative uh, you are and how quickly things turn around. So, for example, you had a forum in 2021 where you said, you know, we need a definition, industry-wide definition of what wellness is. And then by June of this year, you'd already concluded that regardless of the definition, the goal is the same. And this is kind of the focus of today's podcast, really. Your definition or your goal, if you will, was a purpose-filled and engaged life for individuals. So there must be so many potential advantages to wellness in communities, but that's not really what's being sold to people when they're going, for example, into a retirement community. They're not being sold necessarily um, a purpose-filled and engaged life. I mean, we're, 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 we are pushing this. So my question, I will get to it now, is actually in three parts, Colin. So first of all, why is that not what's being sold? Second of all, what are we losing out on as a result of that? And finally, if you can remember all of these bits, what do we need to do to change things? Well, I think why is behavior change? 
and that is I've been trying to get rid of Diet Coke since I was 21, and I haven't been able to do it yet. It's behavior change. It is replacing it with something else that is going to give you as much satisfaction. And if your business is care, and that's what you've built your whole business model around, for a lot of people, it makes them very nervous to change that model. But we need to reflect what is happening in society as a whole. And there is this massive transformation taking place where people have been told by the media now, by research, by politicians, by uh, almost any and everyone that you can live better longer. You have all this potential inside of you. You just need to embrace it. And if communities don't reflect that, they are missing out on millions and millions of potential residents who are looking for those solutions. All of us want to live in an environment that is supportive of the kind of lifestyle we wish. No one wants to you know, really move into somewhere that is going to have someone that's going to come and clean your butt. I mean, to be frank, that, that, that's a little degrading for most people. So the reality, not not downgrading the value of it, because for some people it's extremely uh, needed and valuable. But our goal is how do we prevent the person needing that in the first place? And, uh, you know, communities are changing. When I first started, a wellness center was donated equipment in a small little apartment uh, that was left over that wasn't rented. Uh, now, Many of our members, which are 10,000 strong uh, in all different levels of senior living communities, uh, have standalone wellness centers on their properties that are 10, 20, 30, 40,000 square feet. That certainly isn't the norm, uh, but it is changing. Uh, our latest research shows that 81% of those that we surveyed recently, a couple months ago, uh, see wellness as a high or essential priority, so much so that in the next five years, they expect to move 61% of them do to a wellness-based community with care versus a care-based community with wellness. Will we get there? I think a large portion will. I think some that's hyperbole. They, they're excited and they, they see the, the train coming down the track. They just haven't figured out how to jump on yet, but they'll get there. In terms of somebody's life purpose, when you're waking up in the morning, let's say you are retired, if you are well enough, you're going to be able to continue to contribute to society in some way, rather than this idea of putting old people someplace and, and them not necessarily being relevant. You've got, you've got decades of experience. You have you have creativity, you have people that have seen it all before, that that if they're well, they can in, interact with a, with a broader community. Ab absolutely. And I think the thing is, a lot of times we try and get focused on purpose. And I'd like us to focus on the word purposeful, because purpose is this big, hairy, audacious goal that most of us probably never actually figure out that word. But day to day, being purposeful is crucial to living a well life. And yes, uh, it is the key to that 
is simply understanding that you can and embracing it. I don't know how many people I've run across over the years who have said, you know, I was in a, I was in a wheelchair and I got stronger and I moved from the wheelchair to a walker. And then I got stronger and I moved from a walker to a cane. And then I moved from a cane to walking independently. That doesn't happen to everybody, but that can happen to many if they choose so. The, the, the key with all of this is choice. How do we want to live our latter years? It's really that simple. Linked to that is something that I was kind of talking around just a moment ago, and that is this idea of social isolation, which sometimes arises um, around senior communities. So my theory is, and I think when we spoke on the phone earlier, I shared this with you, young kids want to hang out with the older kids, don't they? I mean, generally, you're always, you know, and older people don't just want to hang out with older people because real life is not like that. And so my question to you is, I don't know if it's around activity, I don't know what it's around, but how can we as developers or designers or architects of building and environments, how can we create environments that would encourage this interaction? Is it the building itself or is it the location? I think it's the programs because I'll give you an example, Willow Valley in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. They have this incredible center that they opened up. And I went out there and I saw it and um, it has pinball. It has bowling alleys, uh, it has a swimming pool. It has meeting rooms. It has a, a fitness center in it. And it's all designed for all generations to participate with. And one of the things that they do is that they have uh, the kids Instead of going to summer camp, they host the summer camps on the property. The goal is to get it so that the kids want to come to the community instead of not come to the community. Now, that's more like the grandkids, you know, having adult, if we could call it such, whatever adult means. Um, but if we have those kinds of activity that you can participate with your parents as well, the, the key is to provide the opportunity for interaction, uh, inter, you know, we're all interdependent. And if we can find ways to be inter interdependent together and be interconnected, we can support our own inter, inter <laughs> that's a hard word to say this morning, <laughs> independence. Uh, and, and it all comes back to doing things together that we like. You know, a lot of times we pre-program communities to the degree that we don't give people the freedom to do the things that they like. We just expect that they're going to do the things we want them to do. So I think, you know, if, if we really understand our residents, we would also give them the ability to create that synergy amongst generations uh, I'll give you a quick example, uh, and that is if I like running the marathon, I'm going to hang out with people who like running the marathon. doesn't matter whether they're young or old. It's as simple as that. Right. And so if we're designing buildings and environments that have a certain amount of flexibility built into the spaces that aren't 
personal spaces that might be adaptable in terms of even room sizes or acoustics or things. If we're looking at the insides rather than the outsides for just a moment, then that maybe fosters more creativity in terms of just having a standard quote unquote activities room, which will have paints in a drawer and a sink. Oh yeah. I mean that, that to me, that, that is so without sounding awful here, but it's 20, 30 years ago, that model today, what we're looking at is you hit the magic word flexibility. You want to be able to have space that can be flexible, that can adapt to what is going on within that space. But you also want to have space that is able to support professional delivery of programs and delivery of programs by residents. Our latest research that happened uh, about a month and a half ago shows that 90% of programs are delivered by individuals that are professionals that work within the community, wellness directors, fitness directors, what have you. And about 80% of the programs are also delivered by residents. So we need not only a flexible mind, but a flexible space to enhance what goes on in that mind. That that wouldn't be residents living a purposeful life by any chance, would it? Oh my goodness, imagine that. <laughs> Why would we want that? What What is wrong with having a happy, healthy resident? Oh my goodness, no one would want that, would they? <laughs> and some creativity and some giving back and some other things that we normally do in our, in our uh, day-to-day lives when we're not considered necessarily older. Um, for, for listeners in other countries, uh, Colin, can you describe what is meant by the U.S. term campus as it relates to this sector? Because we've had um, Melinda Avilatorio using the word campus, and later in the program, I'm going to be mentioning uh, LaSalle Village in Massachusetts, which is exactly that. It's literally a senior community located on a university campus. But what else might the term campus uh, refer to in a U.S. context just for people overseas? A lot of the times it really describes larger properties, properties like continuing care retirement communities that have independent living, assisted living, long-term care. Uh, They have memory care, they have palliative care. It's a full campus of all the different services they have. Sorry, I'm not trying to be rude, but that was memory care, not memory care. (laughs) That's right. Memory care, memory care. Thank you. Just checking. I, I'm 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 Jamaican who lives in Canada, spends most of its time in the U.S. and has a British passport. So hell, I don't know what my words sound like sometimes. <laughs> but yes, mem- memory care, and so that is a full campus of all the different services. I, I mean, you know, campus can be used very loosely to just describe the property, but I think. When you're looking at uh, campus uh, from my end, uh, I look at it as a large property that has many different services that fall under it, just like a university. Right. Okay. And thus, thus the name probably came from that university um, model. And it's interesting because depending on where in the world you are, so Japan would be one example, the United Kingdom another, where space is really at a premium. Yes, But they still might have a campus, even though the campus might consist of a roof terrace or 
some sort of garden around a facility. It could still be a smaller contained location, but it could still have some of these offers with the wider community, couldn't it? Yeah, it has all the different elements, uh, really. And that's what you're talking about. Uh, You're talking about all these different elements that come together to create this form of a, a campus that you can live in. Okay, I really like the term. I'd lo- love us to start using that here in the UK. I think it, it it broadens the mind away from the idea of a building yes. into yes. an offer, um, which is kind of a different, uh, a whole different approach. I've seen in some of your literature uh, that you mention spaces for internet shopping and deliveries. Now, we have, I've never been asked to do that, but it makes so much sense. What uptake well, have you had on that? Think about it. And that is at least in the US and Canada, the world is all about Amazon uh, and Amazon deliveries, FedEx deliveries, Pure Later. Uh, there's so much in, in the pandemic, especially. There's so much uh, foods that were delivered and products that were delivered. Where do you hold them if people aren't at home? Where did they get delivered? So uh, having those kinds of spaces, once again, flexible spaces, uh, is is really key. And I don't think that the online end of things is going to be slowing down anytime soon. It doesn't seem like it. And I think one of one of the things I read um, also mentioned, you know, even about food deliveries. You know, you don't necessarily yes. want the Chinese takeaway being walked all the way th- through the building by somebody who's, you know, not necessarily meant to be there. So you mean you don't want it dripping along the floor? No, interior designers hate that. Um, I, I will just say, because you were mentioning the pandemic, I really wish at the beginning I had thought to invest in cardboard. Ah, uh, yes. I mean, please. I would have loved to invest in cardboard. <laughs> Any kind of delivery service uh, yeah. or PEP. Yeah, I mean the the other kind of so that's one space that we're just talking about internet shopping and that kind of space. The other thing is we're often asked to locate a gym in the way that you mentioned earlier, which is you know a couple of pieces of equipment, maybe a mirror on one wall and a yoga mat, and it's usually as you said either in a spare room that's on the small side or in a basement. I'm guessing you don't like that idea. Oh, I hate that idea. Well, no, let me let me rephrase that. Years ago, I used to travel a lot and I was in uh I would stay at hotels that had state of the art fitness equipment. And it was equipment in the basement, uh right by a sauna. Uh the equipment was all rusted out and it was really deceptive advertising. And to me, if we are going to be true to a wellness message, we also need to be true to what we call wellness and how we deliver it. And delivering something that has no staff in a setting that is inappropriate, really, um, it really counters what the wellness message is all about. That's not to say to go out and build a a big, huge center. It's just simply to say, if you're going to focus on wellness, you need to start with one word. Commitment. If you don't have the commitment to do it properly, don't do it because you do yourself 
and your residents and their family a disservice. A tick box exercise rather than what you were saying, a, an actual commitment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's easy to tick a box. It's hard to fulfill a commitment. And the commitment, once you start down that path, includes staffing, it includes onboarding, it includes uh, policies, it includes uh, your marketing, it includes your people, it includes everything. And sometimes we're just not ready to make that move. But let me tell you that wellness is one of the fastest growing uh, industries in the world. And the question is whether you are involved or not. You know, your customer will be. The question is whether you are. Right. And whether that's integrated into your mission for what it is that you're you're providing. You mentioned staff. And there's sort of a, after the pandemic, a global lack of staff available and retention is proving very difficult as well. Do you have any research back on how any of this, the, the wellness program or that sort of focus has affected staff and or staff retention? Well, I think it, uh, it we don't have definitive research. Uh, what we do know as an example, is that uh, wellness, when it comes to residents, uh, will help a resident stay in your property 2.7 years longer. So if you were looking at apartments or rentals or anything like that, you're talking about significant revenue. Uh, we know from a staffing perspective that if you have a healthier, engaged staff, that they are going to be just that, healthier. And they're probably going to be a, a better ambassador for your organization. Uh, now, the question is, with all of this going on and burnout and staff loss and uh, so forth, could wellness reduce that? I believe it can. Uh, I think wellness is a more positive approach than you know, dealing with care day in, day out. That's not to say that, once again, that there's a diminished value in that. It's just simply a different level of stress. And I think that wellness, uh, your staff stick around probably longer because of that. Right, so you're, you're, you're saying to your entire organization, we're in the wellness business as it yes. filters down through all. And in fact, I read a, a, a document um, that you had produced um, on senior living communities that, that deals with this, that if it goes through every single level of the organization, the mindset changes for everyone. Well, think, think about the money that people spend to go to all these wellness resorts. And if you look at the world uh, or the uh, global wellness Association uh, or uh, Global Wellness Institute, uh, their numbers show that if somebody is uh, purchasing a wellness property, that they will spend about 25% more. So you have residents that are staying longer, spending more, happier, healthier, able to do more. And they tend to also attract other people like themselves. I don't see their downside except for how you view your own property. This obviously changes the model, what you're talking about somewhat um, yes. from the, the, the status quo. And I would say more than somewhat, quite significantly. 
What do you see as the future directions on this and the senior living sort of industry? I think we are at a fork in the road, and that is we're going to have those who will continue down the path just the way they have. They will probably still be around, and they will certainly fill a need. Uh, but I think we will see others go down this new path. They will be more attractive to uh, a younger resident. Uh, they will uh have greater sustainability because people will be healthier in their communities and stay with them longer. So their costs will be lower. And we'll just simply see a, 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 an industry that will, you know, go in two different directions. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, the only thing you need to figure out is, do you want to serve the very small percentage of the population that uh, communities serve right now? Or do you want to serve a much larger percentage of people who are looking to live better longer uh, in a community that supports that? Is it going to come down to cost point? Are we going to end up with people not having this offer of wellness on the cheaper end of the market only? Because that seems no. like a disservice kind of to humanity. <laughs> I think the problem is that people uh, perceive that wellness is for the rich, and it's not. Uh, you know, being spiritually well, socially well, physically engaged has nothing to do with money. Okay, if you want to go to a fitness center, then yes, there's money involved. There are lots of low-cost fitness centers if you don't have one at your community. But uh, all of the different areas of wellness I can be engaged in, and it doesn't matter as far as dollars. How it's delivered will change, of course, but that doesn't mean that you don't have access to it. In terms of budgets, we always have uh, some limitations. And what happens to us as designers and architects is people will build a building and that's where all their money's going. You know, they've got this big building project and everybody's walking around in hard hats, very excited about the whole thing. And um then the technologies come in, of which there are a lot, and then they take another whole portion of the overall budget, and then we're left as designers with, with whatever's left over. And you know what? We can deal with that because we're creative. We can find ways around that. But it begs the question, with all of these technologies coming our way that's supposed to revolutionize active aging, are there any particular ones or types of technologies that you think are really worth consideration and really worth giving up some of the budget toward? Yeah, I think technologies that uh, people use. There's a lot of uh, what I call bling things out there, uh, but I think it's all about the technologies that people use. We see wearables are becoming um, you know, uh, adopted by older adults and by communities. We see uh, artificial intelligence. There's a lot of things like um, DNA and genetics that haven't had broad reach yet within the communities that will be sooner or later. Uh, there's artificial intelligence, there's robotics. Those things will come sooner or later. They're not there yet. So you look at what is it that will actually enhance someone's experience. And that could be as simple as um, you know streaming services, to wearables, to, uh, you know, whatever you think your residents will use. 
Right. Or even something like um, a Zoom technology or a, a way of speaking to friends who maybe are not as mobile as they used to be and located someplace else because they're not in a wellness village. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's really, really been a useful dialogue today, Colin. I want to thank you so much for being a, a guest on the Third Age Design Podcast. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure, uh, Lori, and I'm happy to do it anytime you wish. You're going to be sorry you said that. <laughs> At the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned something which may have piqued your interest. This concept certainly captured mine. This month's Innovation Spotlight is shining on LaSalle Village in Newton, Massachusetts, USA. This is a senior living community with a big difference. Inspired by LaSalle University, this is the USA's first senior living community to require each resident to commit to continuing education, taking lifelong learning to a whole new level. Residents take college courses alongside students who are pursuing degrees, and the village also offers a personalized fitness service in addition to their well-being center, the community itself, and many other amenities. Remember the sense of purpose or purposefulness that we were discussing earlier in the podcast with Colin? Well, this initiative is one which will really get you thinking quite literally. You'll find a link for more information on the podcast page for this episode at www.thirdage.design. Just a quick look at our TAD International Events Calendar. InterCare Asia, the International Health and Wellness Expo, is taking place in Bangkok, Thailand from September 29th until the 1st of October. You'll see today's guest, Colin Milner, in person by attending the ICAA Conference, Leadership Summit, and Expo in Orlando, Florida, USA from the 8th to the 10th of November. And the Future of Aging 2022 Conference takes place at the Welcome Collection in London, England on November the 24th. You'll find more international shows and conferences on the events page at thirdage.design and let us know via the contact page if you have an event that you'd like to have listed there. Thank you to our special guest, Colin Milner, to our producer, Mike Scales, who works remotely and so I haven't seen him in a long time, to Valerie Adler of The Right Website, to Peter Thorne, who composed our theme music and is playing the piano with Mary Blanchard on flute, and to our sponsor, Anova Care Concepts, the leading edge of healthcare. Finally, to you. Thank you for being part of a community who believes we can improve senior environments together. I'm Laurie Pinkerton Rowley, and I hope you'll join me for the next one. Mm-hmm.